So New York recently passed a new gun law that will prevent people from carrying guns in many popular places in New York City. Like they're banned definitely in Times Square, healthcare facilities, childcare, playgrounds, libraries, zoos. It's a very long list of anywhere where a a mass shooting could happen. That's so vague. Like anywhere a mass shooting can happen. There's 8 million people in New York. You just... You just shoot out your window in New York and like you've caused a mass shooting. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Welcome to the Politically Asian podcast. We're just two Asian-American comedians talking about politics and the Asian-American community in hopes of getting more Asians to talk about politics. We are coming at you live from Brooklyn, New York. My name is Jerry Lim. My pronouns are they, them. And you can find me across the internet at Jerryaki. That's G-E-R-R-I-E-Y-A-K-I. And my co-host... Hey, my name is Aaron Yin. My pronouns are he, him. And you can find me on social media at Aaron Flarin. That's A-A-R-O-N-F-L-A-R-I-N. Cool. And as always, we're going to start with our Practice What You Preach segment where, you know, on the pod, we talk a lot about politics, but it's also important to do things. So each week we share one thing we did related to our politics and or organizing. I'll go first this week. And um, today was super, or not today, but this week was really cool because my coworkers and I on, on my team had the idea to meet on like a Google Meet and do our mid-year performance reviews with each other. Um, so if you don't know what a mid-year performance review is, is basically your coworkers give feedback about you and it's like on the record and all that. But we decided to talk about it before writing anything down. Oh, so, okay. if, so if there was anything negative, you would just tell the person face to face instead of just like writing it. And when it came down to like actually turn in our reviews for each other, we all wrote long paragraphs for strengths and then like one line, barely one line for the weakness. Like basically like a, <laughs> my biggest weakness is my attention to detail. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the kind of bullshit thing you say in an yeah. interview, which is really cool because the team sounded pretty good in our reviews. And I think everyone might be up for a um, raise or promotion, depending um, if everything continues to go well. So uh, yeah, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, Okay, you still deliver the feedback, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, what the purpose of the review is, right? But yeah. you also help each other make a lot more money by making the negatives only be said on video. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I guess it's good that you have face-to-face contact when you're doing it. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. When do you hear back about the reviews? Um, yeah, like about the reviews. Well, we we did the feedback session with each other kind of, uh, a little bit ago, and I we heard our, from our feedback like t- this week. Um, so I'm talking about like the results of us doing that. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wait, that's really cool. Nice. Nice. Look at this organizing in the workplace going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's really so. cool. That's really cool. Wow. Nice. How do you feel about this? I feel pretty good. I mean, like, first off, in uh, we didn't really tell each other what we were going to write for the strengths, right? Like, it was like, if you have something nice to say, then say it, um, which was great because, you know, everyone got back long paragraphs about how great they are um it was more important to do like the weakness stuff because like i mean you do want to kind of address it but it's also important that you don't have a paper trail of negative comments uh that's what i learned in my last job is just like the importance of receipts essentially is like whether you have them or not can be like a game changer 
Mm, got it. So for all the PA listeners who work in the office, take note about this. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. We'll talk, talk, talk with your coworkers. Yeah. We'll talk next mid-year review. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you? Yeah. This week was also a really exciting week for me. So, you know, over the past few episodes, I've been talking about this big protest going on with home care workers um, who are unionized protesting in front of their own union. For a summary, I would just Google PIX11, so P-I-X-11, that's like a very big local New York City news channel, home care worker protest. The protest happened on Wednesday, like over 200, you know, unionized home care workers showed up. Um, it was it was wild. They We like filled up the sidewalk and we spilled over to the street. NYPD had to block off one of the main streets in Herald Square. Um, mm-hmm. And then afterwards, because the union didn't come out to talk to the workers, they started doing a sit-in and now it's day three of the sit-in. So I was actually there this morning as well. There were like 50 of them there, just all lined up, sitting in front of the union. These are all, you know, elderly, like Chinese immigrant women, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's it's just, it's it's amazing to see. Um, and yeah, I'm feeling really inspired about it. And I might go back after this podcast recording. Yeah. Are they still there? Yeah, they're still there. They go until like about like five or six every day. And they, they got there at 7 a.m. this morning. So it's a really long sit-in every day. Wow, that's that's pretty wild it's also cool to hear that it's older folks that are like out there on the literal front lines yeah i'm kind of like yo if you're an asian person who hesitates to get involved in any kind of organizing like you have many old asian people who you know english is not even their first language many of them don't even speak english like still out here doing it yeah i guess like are they gonna keep sitting in like are what's what's like the plan until the union like meets their um requests or what no i think this might be the last day or second to last day of the sit-in um depending on what they do for labor day but the important thing is there's a bill coming up on um september 6th there's a hearing for it the no more 24 Mm -hmm. act this is what all the workers are asking for to split 24 hour shifts into 12 and 12 1199 is lobbying insanely hard against this bill like the more I realize from these protests is like 1199 SEIU is less of a, you know, it is, it's a big union and also just essentially a big lobbying group. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they spent are spending so much trying to get this bill to not pass. Um, mm-hmm. But it's only in New York city that this 24 hour shift thing is still a thing. Upstate New York, they already split the shifts in like 888 or 1212. Can people still like email slash write their slash call the representative to, uh, do something about oh, that? Oh, yeah. I think it's like really important to do that, actually. And there's also a bit.ly on the Youth Against Sweatshops Instagram page. Yeah, it's really important for people to just email their uh, city council member, submit a written testimony, because these lobbying groups are literally calling like 24-7. Yeah, if you live in New York, that's a super easy thing to do that you, um, you can participate in. I did it. It literally took like five seconds. It ha- it comes like with a pre-filled template, so yeah, it was like yeah. super... <laughs> The power Super of tech. easy. <laughs> the power yeah, of, yeah. Tech the, for the tech for good, right? Tech for good. Yeah, just obvious. Yeah, pre-written email templates. Literally clicking like three buttons. It was. It's so good. All right. Well, let's get into the news material for this week. Uh, first up, let's talk about this study that was done about how nearly one third of low-income Asian women now live in states with limited abortion access. This is in the wake of Roe v. Wade. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I thought this article was good, first of all, because it highlighted a lot of Asian, you know, ethnicities that are the ones suffering from it that we don't hear about. So many of the women affected are like Pakistani women, Burmese women, Nepalese women, Thai women. 
Mm -hmm. um, who live in like Texas and a lot of other states where abortion is being heavily restricted right now. Um, I thought it was really good to to highlight. Um, yeah, not just, you know, like Chinese, Korean, Japanese women all the time. Yeah, um, I thought I thought that was interesting too. Like, <laughs> um, like reverse representation. Like, yeah. it was literally the the chart that on this article was primarily Southeast Asian, South Asian, and Pacific Islander uh, people. Like, everyone was represented except for East Asians, I think. And uh, yeah, the, I I it, it's split between um, a couple of states, but I think a lot about like Texas and Florida, especially Texas, because Houston is like a huge, huge, huge hub for just asian people yeah and that's yeah that's like why i don't know so you're from arkansas i don't know arkansas is part of the south right yeah <laughs> yeah okay <It's> okay <laughs> well i'm from the deep south yeah. which uh, um and uh that's why i'll always get mad when like people say like oh like the south just needs to be its own country like forget about them blah 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 but like it's like you guys know that they're like people of color and queer people that live there right because like places yeah. like california and new york are too expensive <laughs> yeah texas good for some things you know 99 ranch great market for asian people but abortion <laughs> not so good right <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was thinking about the saying like everyone's saying don't mess with texas but i'm like no we need to mess more with texas right now this is <laughs> this is really Suck bad with texas <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Yeah, it's um, the the article that we read, um, one of many, just really highlights a few narratives as well from, you know, Burmese women just showing them like how hard it is. It's like you don't just have a family member you can call to drive you three states away to do an abortion. You don't have documentation. So that's another mm -hmm. issue. And you don't have money at all. So um, it's a lot different than people on Twitter at first when they're talking about Roe versus Wade. They're like, oh, now we just have to go across the state border or something. And it's like, no, it's yeah. not. It's not that easy for some other people, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I can't even imagine like I I personally do not know. I I mean, we live in New York, so I imagine if I needed an abortion, I could go to Planned Parenthood, but Yeah. Um if, you know, I lived in Alabama, like I don't know how I would get an abortion. Like I I don't know how I'd begin to navigate that, especially if I didn't have the money or, you know, just god, if I didn't speak the language, that'd be awful. Or even if you did know like how to get all those things like if you if you're an immigrant like how are you you know how are you going to get to that next state right yeah. how are you going to come back like yeah me me coordinating with my parents to pick me up from the airport is already like hard <laughs> yeah, exactly. so how yeah. much more for this <laughs> dude after school pickups also very yeah lots yeah of <laughs> it's, it's hard it's it's hard oh my god lots of memories of you know, my parents showing up like two hours later or one hour later. Yeah. <laughs> the, last, the last person sitting the on the kid. sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do we have the same childhood? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fucking depressing. Um, I don't. I, it would be cool to like. I, I'm sure this is out there or I hope this is out there and I'm just not aware of it, but like community groups that like put together material on like how to get an abortion in like XYZ languages, you know, yeah, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It seems like there are a few groups here, but yeah, I, I at least from what I see right now, it, it seems like the infrastructure could use still use some work. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to a different topic, our second topic of the week. So Aaron and I decided to get a subscription to Juggernaut, which is a South Asian publication to, you know, stay more in the loop on what's happening with South Asian diaspora. Um, and one of the articles we wanted to talk about today was how there is a rise of South Asian studies in U.S. colleges. 
Aaron, your thoughts on the article and what you got out of that? Yeah, so I'd say the biggest takeaway is how there are so many similarities um, in terms of struggles between East Asian studies and South Asian studies. So I'd say first, the amount of white professors. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that cracked me up when I read it. You know, East, <laughs> East Asian studies famously having many crusty looking white guys, you know, maybe wearing glasses or, you know, wearing a rice paddy hat, right? Being the, mm-hmm. the heads or co-chairs of East Asian studies. Yeah. And a very similar thing is going on with South Asian studies right now. Um, I'd say second, something kind of interesting is that even within a lot of these South Asian studies programs, many of them primarily focus on India or even India only, I would say. Um, and so yeah. there's a lot of critique right now that South Asia is more than just India, maybe similar to how you know, East Asia is, is not just China, right? Um, right, So right. I think there's a lot of that parallel going on. Well, um, what do you think? I, I agree with your, your analysis in terms of like the right, the white crusty guy. It's interesting though, because like I feel like for East Asians, I typically think of like this old crusty like white dude, you know, um, or not even, he doesn't even have to be old, just, you know, crusty and white. Um, but like when I think of like South Asian people white people if that makes sense like the appropriators i think of like a uh, a white woman who's like i'm really into yoga and like oh, eating yeah. and like all that stuff you know what i yeah, mean yeah yeah the health the healthy movement yeah a lot of white women doing yoga yeah and, yeah um, yeah chai chai tea right yeah, yeah yeah i thought it was interesting like of course it's fucking berkeley who has like the department of south you know like all the asian studies departments um, like, of course, I feel like California has like a monopoly on like Asian American activism sometimes, oh, yeah. but, um, just wanted to, sh- just wanted to shout out the, uh, Berkeley South Asian radical walking tour. Um, they do a history tour of, uh, just South Asian activism in the Bay, which I think is super cool. And if I ever, if we ever go out there, I would love to do that sometime. Oh, yeah. and then the, the one, th- the thing that I found funny is that, um, there was like one university that has three separate majors within East Asian studies. Like you can get a major <laughs> in China, China studies, um, Korea studies and Japan studies. Um, but South Asia only has like one umbrella degree. Yeah. Or it's sometimes it's not even a major. It's just like a minor or certificate um, is what they're calling it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a yeah. little bit different across states. Um, I think another interesting thing was that Right now, most of the South Asian studies programs are at Ivy Leagues that don't. Yes. Have, yeah. Yes. That, <laughs> boo. No, <laughs> that they don't. They don't have that many Asian people, right? Like Brown University, I'm um, seeing has about 15 percent Asian people, compared to a lot of state schools. Like you know, University of Washington has about 30 percent Asian people. So in terms of percentage uh-huh. and raw number, it's a lot higher. But so these are like the state schools that need Asian studies, but they don't have nearly yeah. as much funding. Um. Mm. So it's so I'm just like yo know, at Ivy Leagues. It's it, it might just be mainly white students in these South Asian studies classes. Oh my god! Yeah, you're right. Dang, I I didn't even think about it like that. I was just like like yes, this is good that like Asian that South Asian studies are get is getting funding, but also like I don't know about you, but like. When I get an email from Columbia that's like, it's time to donate, I'm like, no, fuck off. How do you have my email again? <laughs> yeah. Time to set up three more filters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. It's so annoying. I mean, obviously, Ivy Leagues have so much money, but they're also just not the most diverse. So it's truly, I think, these 
East Asian studies and South Asian studies will be like at least 50% white. And then those mm-hmm. people might go on to be the professors. <laughs> uh, when I actually think about South Asian studies professors, I also, you know, I can see the white woman who's really into yoga and like chai, you know, yeah. quote, chai tea lattes or an old crusty white guy with British accent. Mm. <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> yeah, yes. no, I, uh, I, well, but the thing about like from the British angle, I've heard that like across the pond, when you say Asian in the UK, People actually think of South Asian people first before yes. they think of. So I will say like, oh, okay. Like if he has a British accent. Oh, he probably knows. It. Oh, yeah. He, no, no, oh, yeah. That, yeah that, no, that's exactly why he might teach in South Asian studies yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> the, the last thing I'll say, um, there was like a paragraph towards the bottom that like talked about how um, it's, a, it's like learning in a school environment Um argue it like argued the importance of learning heritage without the biases of their home communities and i was like what are you talking about like talking to your family and talking to your like aunties about like this history feels like it really like you know brings the history to life blah, yeah, blah. I'm thinking about, like i'm thinking about like when my parents talk about like the marcos regime for example mm. um and like you know surely your your professors whether they're you know white or like of the diaspora themselves have their own biases yeah um but like uh the article talked about how uh this guy from an upper caste family uh learned about caste oppression through his like own studies yeah um in school which i thought was like really interesting um so i guess like all this to say is like the importance of talking to your parents and like seeking from like i guess institutions and then i would throw on uh do your own research yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um similar stories but with grandparents about world war ii and stuff like that yeah Um, yeah way way better than the textbook Yeah. yeah yeah all right so Topic number three, we're going a little bit New York City. Um, so New York recently passed a new gun law that will prevent people from carrying guns in many popular places in New York City. Uh, it's a it's a very, very long list, but the summary is like they're banned definitely in Times Square, healthcare facilities, childcare, playgrounds, libraries, zoos amusement centers, theaters. It's a very long list of anywhere where a, sure. mass, a mass shooting could happen uh, going into effect right now. Um, Jerry, thoughts? That's so vague. Like, anywhere a mass shooting can happen, there's 8 million people in New York. You just you just shoot out your window in New York and, like, you've caused a mass shooting. Yeah. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Sorry to interrupt this episode. We wanted to do a special announcement. If you're in the New York City area, we're having our first in-person event on September 11th, the day after the Mid-Autumn Festival. Uh, We'll be hosting a picnic in Prospect Park near the picnic house from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah, so check out our Instagram for more information. And lastly, please don't forget to give us five-star reviews on Apple or Spotify. It really helps the pod out, and it's free. Cool. And now... Back to the episode. Well, oh, sorry, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that in the paper, but the, the, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, I know, I know, but like, I, I get the the thought behind the process. It's just like, you, you know, like there's there's way too many people here. Like, why not just make the entire city a zone? Like, I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> I guess just for a quick background too. So the reason New York even did this is because the Supreme Court originally shut down New York State's original firearm law, which said. 
you can't have a gun unless you have a quote proper cause for it, like a really mm-hmm. specific reason to carry it. So, <laughs> so which, I mean, yeah, that that seems cool. Um, but yeah, as soon as that was struck down, New York City just went like, okay, so you can carry it everywhere except this list of like 500 places <laughs> which is like almost all of new york city yeah oh i was just gonna say i hope that is, this feels like a so they declared times square a, one of those zones and uh my question is is like this this better not is this a ploy to get us to go back to times square like I, <laughs> yeah like You're i don't, don't want to go more yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not enough but also um you know when when we first talked about this like this is coming right after yesterday where there were like two shootings in East Village and part of me like in terms of how I feel about this bill is like this I don't think any bill will stop someone who actually wants to shoot somebody from Mm. carrying a gun right like New York City is trying to make people aware of this by putting all these giant road signs digital and paper and stuff everywhere saying this is a gun-free zone but it's like New York's New Yorkers don't read. Like every single subway has a giant sign saying "Wear your mask." Masks are still required on the MTA and the entire train. There is like maybe twenty percent of people wearing masks. So in a similar aspect, I'm like, it it feels like a bit of an empty gesture. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I would go even further to say Americans don't read because I don't know about <laughs> you, but my school had a, a sign, like a giant yellow sign outside that was like, this is a gun-free zone. Like, and I'm, I didn't have like a gun scare. Any. Actually, there was one down the street, but technically that was not in the zone. Um, there was a shooting down the street from my school when I went. Oh, my but God. It was down the street, so technically not a school shooting. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying like school shootings happen, right? And like I, it's not... I don't understand. Like, it does. How is a sign going to stop someone? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is again another one of the instances where we're being, um, what's the word, reactive mm, instead of yeah. proactive. Like, this is just saying. Actually, I don't know. I guess it's like you're proactively putting up signs, but it's like you're not. <laughs> it's not really going to do anything, right? It's still the shooting's going to happen, and then you're going to have to be like, "Oh, it was so bad. It was terrible. We'll do our best to stop the next one in the future." Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned the shootings in the East Village. I didn't know about that, but I saw just a TikTok last night where someone apparently brought a gun on the subway. And this was not like a recap of like the shooting that happened in April. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I don't. How long have you lived in New York? Uh, Four, four years, five years. Okay. yeah, yeah. I'm going on six. And I will say that, like, I feel like the past nine months, I've heard more guns in New York and on the subway than like. I have in like the past, you know, years that I've yeah, lived here since. That is, it is very alarming. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is even a bright side, but they interviewed Eric Adams and he also cool. found this ridiculous. He was like, think about how ridiculous the gun situation is. You know, think about it, that we actually have to say in our city that we have to say somewhere is a gun free zone. And Part of me was just thinking about that meme, like, you know, this is heartbreaking. Oh, worst person you know makes a great point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. That's not the way I went. It's like it's like when um uh President Biden like tweeted something, like he he said something. I can't even remember what the topic was, but he was basically like, Something must be done. And I was like, dude, you're the president. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, sir, you're the mayor. Like Yeah, you could yeah, just be harsher and uh yeah, that 
yeah, most guns in New York City are also being held by cops, most likely. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. Um the my problem with the zones is just like if it's a gun-free zone, that implies when you leave the zone, it is a gun-full zone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like um, the worst game of tag or something. <laughs> it's like the, the safety zone. And the, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Man, it's been a minute since I've played tag. But, yeah, I think that's kind of hard because, like, I feel like New Yorkers in general, like, it's already kind of hard to delineate where a neighborhood stops and starts. You know, like, you can ask, like, you can ask a room of 10 people like, hey, where, what streets does like the East Village cover? And like, you'll get 10 different answers. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how this is going to work. Um, it reminds me of like, uh, this is a ridiculous reference, but like in Hamilton when they would like, he, they reference crossing the river to New Jersey to do uh, duels with pistols because it was legal in New Jersey, but not in New York <laughs> to duel. Um, like, how is this any different? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I definitely want to just keep a track of how many shootings there are, you know, after this this whole thing oh goes into effect. But I guess we'll have to follow up in a few months. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So switching news a bit. Um, another, I guess this is our, our Asian CEO segment. Um, Starbucks <laughs> recently announced a new CEO, um, Laksman Narasimhan. Uh, he's Indian CEO. Um, he used to work for a company called Reckit, which is a UK-based company. They made several popular products, the Durex condoms, Lysol, and Mucinix. I, I feel like he had a really good COVID in yeah. terms of business. <laughs> but yeah, now he's taking over Starbucks. He's going to start shadowing in October, and he'll officially take over in April. Jerry, what are your thoughts on this amazing, amazing new <laughs> Asian billionaire? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not gonna. Who the fuck still drinks Starbucks? No offense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I probably just insulted all of Middle America right then. Um, I, I, okay, this is probably stupid of me, but like, I didn't realize that they picked people who are company outsiders. Like, why wouldn't you promote from within? I'm right. Mm. Like, yeah, I think it's well, this guy, um, he was also an outsider at his previous company I was reading, but he just yeah. turned it around really well. So I think that was part of the reasoning why they also brought him in to try to turn Starbucks around, given all the unionization and other stuff. Did did he turn it around or did his pro- his company just make products that had a really good pandemic year? It was literally <laughs> condoms, uh, Lysol, and then like a third. Oh, I can't remember what the other things were. Uh, um, Mucinix. Uh, yeah okay yeah. come on <laughs> <laughs> no, it seems like he he also just turned it he was really good as a manager yeah no no <laughs> uh, gotta give him a little credit <laughs> this wreck place was going through a lot of shit before he came around yeah um it's really hard to see where he stands on labor issues like when i was reading into this i was basically like okay you brought him in is he going to squash the union or is he going to support the union and nothing i could see so far i even looked up his previous company i typed like you know lysol union Reckett union mucinex i did the same thing (laughs) there's there's yo the the mucinex commercials have them all unionizing right it's been a minute oh i thought all all the germs or something all the germs unionize with each other yeah Yeah, and then they get destroyed by mucinex (laughs) they get destroyed anyway cool so mucinex is a union buster like literally (laughs) got it yeah um Yeah, so it's really hard to tell, um, but they also brought it in because I think of his 
international experience, not necessarily in India, but also in China and in other companies because um, Starbucks is really suffering in China, who apparently drinks a lot of COVID. Yeah. Drinks a lot of coffee. Sorry. Drinks a lot of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Drinks a lot of COVID. <laughs> this man's a China virus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, I, I was mixing up the sentence because the sentence is. No, no, no. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> COVID restrictions hurt Starbucks in China a lot, which I guess they also drink a lot of Starbucks. Yeah. I guess one thing I would be concerned about is how does his employment pair with this other person named Amanda Stanfield. Do you know who she is? No. Oh, I, she, I, that didn't come up in my research. I saw a tweet about this. and then, But she's Starbucks' new manager of global intelligence for retail. And What is global intelligence? See, that's, that's the key thing, right? And the thing is, she was a former CIA agent. Oh, there you go. Well, well, also a former Pinkerton employee, which is also an intelligence firm that are both known uh. for union busting and squashing workers. So I feel like they hired her as like the propaganda brain to tear down the union. Mm, well, I will say this. So the new CEO, he spent 19 years at McKinsey and if you there's this I recommend reading this um, Atlantic article called McKinsey ruined the middle class. Um, the, TL, <laughs> the TLDR is that the McKinsey is like famously an anti-union consulting group. Like people will hire them. I think Google hired them actually when they were like trying to bust their own union, the Google oh, union, wow. Alphabet union, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, he spent almost 20 years there. I do think that's an interesting detail because the yes. guy's like 50. So yes. that's like, that's like a lot of his working life. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like that in context of like, oh, Starbucks is like unionizing all over, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. Bad news bears. Bad news bears. Yeah. I was going to say this week's poll should be, do you think this new CEO um, is going to union bus Starbucks or not union bus Starbucks? I would. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent union bus. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm already waiting for all the articles about, oh, you know, in Next Shark, like, oh. You know, Asian, you know, new Asian CEO of Starbucks, you know, great for Asian representation and right. Asian corporate leadership. Have to add them to the infographic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -mm, mm -mm. All right. Well, <laughs> we're going to close out on a super interesting topic. Um, so you if you've been on the Internet before, you may or may not have heard of this uh what's the right word social media personality named ollie london who has famously gone under i think 32 surgeries um to look more like jimin from <laughs> bts <laughs> um and they put out a uh apology on instagram like it was it was not a notes app apology. It was like a a Google Doc like multi-page yeah. <laughs> apology. Google um, Doc screenshots. Aaron, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for full transparency, I first read the entire Instagram apology and then I also watched the 12 minute YouTube apology. So wow. that's the context I'm coming into this. Um, but let's I guess just talking about the Instagram first. I would say this apology was like a five out of ten. It's very average. Mm -hmm. I think the the benefit is that Ollie London um, did apologize, but they apologized more for 
trying to look too much like Jimin as opposed to, you know, just talking about how much damage they've done for Asian Americans in general or Asian diaspora, mm-hmm. Asian people in general. And they still do identify as Korean on the inside. Which they also meant, I'm like, okay. And I felt like there was a little bit of um, gaslighting or something. I just, it was like, I'm sorry for all the Asian community who who may have found my obsession too creepy or unhealthy. <laughs> it's like, oh, I may have, you know, offended you by some chance. Um, but I do think that it sounds like they're at least starting the journey for self-reflection. So that's that's why I kind of give it a five out of ten. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, that's I mean, look, look, uh, <laughs> you know, what sucks is like, I feel like he actually said the words, I apologize, which Aquafina did not in her notes of apology. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure True. she did not say the words, I'm sorry, or I apologize. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we do give it a five out of 10 rating, which is average, but sadly, average is not bad. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I guess to rate it, it's like Ollie said. I'm well. Ollie said I apologize, which is a little worse than I'm sorry, but we'll take it. They did describe the actions that they did. You know, the surgeries and vaguely, they, <laughs> vaguely, and they also provided a lot of childhood trauma or whatever that kind of explained why they were this way. And they apparently had a really life changing Korea experience post grad. And then they kind of just ended it with. The weird, like I'm still Korean on the inside, though. <laughs> I don't know. The more, the more I talk about this, the more I'm like, maybe it's more like a three out of ten. <laughs> yeah, this person, like, he probably would have been a Korea study major. You know what I mean? Like, or maybe exactly, he was. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm maybe saying. He so he says, at age 23, I moved to Korea and lived there for one year, and it changed me as a person forever. This is some real eat, pray, love kind of thing going on, but for. Mm. For, for identity. Um, yeah. I don't like that they said that, um, something, something, I have great love and respect of Asian people mm. after the incredible kindness and acceptance they have shown me over the years. Okay, one. Yeah. <laughs> you, they targeted Korean people primarily and mostly. Like, don't say Asian people when <laughs> yeah, you mean Korean. Right. <laughs> Two, you did not meet the right Asian people, I feel like, because if they were showing you incredible kindness and acceptance, like, I don't... <laughs> yeah. You were not meeting the right ones. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the thing that I think was really missing was the accountability factor. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think they're going to get reverse surgeries, right? That's a lot of th- <laughs> that's a lot of surgeries yeah. to reverse. You know, you gotta you gotta re- undo thirty two control Z thirty two times. That's right. That's that's not gonna. That's probably not gonna happen. Um, and they don't really mention what else they're gonna do to to address the harm they've caused. So the accountability aspect is definitely what's was really, really lacking. I do think it's really funny that they're not even fully sorry for looking Korean. They're fully sorry for trying to um, impersonate Jimin specifically. <laughs> like, yeah. this could have been a DM to one person. <laughs> I would think Jimin has him blocked. Like, what do you yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I will say uh, the most Asian thing about Ali London is the sheer amount of money they've spent on their parents. They spent like hundreds of <laughs> yes. thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The thing I'll close with is this is like they're 32. I think I got the numbers wrong. They've probably had more surgeries than 32. I, I had 32 uh, on my sheet, but I'm realizing it says their age is 32. <laughs> oh, but they, I mean, no, they, 
It's a lot. The NBC Asian American says London says they've undergone 32 operations, which includes six nose jobs, eye surgery, and a forehead. Lift. Oh, okay. So yeah, okay, 32 so... is the number of operations. Oh, okay. Well, they're all they were born in 1990, and I, mathematically speaking, <laughs> oh. I think that's 32. Yeah, 32. Right? Yeah, 32. Okay, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why they picked right <laughs> surgery now. every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, 32nd yeah. birthday, 32 surgeries. Time to apologize. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, okay. The thing is, is like people in the comments. Yes, I read the comments. We're talking about how they recently married. They they recently got married, and their husband supposedly looks like Jimin. Um. Oh God. <laughs> sure. And then like the the worst part about this, which wow, can you believe that that like the whole Jimin lookalike husband thing was not the worst part, but rather <laughs> this person, the husband is 19 years old. Oh um, wait, what? Like, yeah, like I that's, did not know that's, this. Yeah, Danny Richardson, 19. Oh my. They got, they got married a couple weeks ago. Wait, hold up. This Ollie London is saying this person looks like Jimin. This person is. This person is white, right? Yeah, it's literally the hair. That's it. <laughs> it's another white person with just bleached, uh, parted hair. Oh my goodness! Wow, and a and a what? Thirteen year age gap. Interesting. Well, this is this. You know, like you mentioned earlier, this is still better than Aquafina's apology. I'll give it that. <laughs> Purely because the words. I apologize. We're actually in the apology. <laughs> yeah. The bar like is the really bare low. Minimum. Yeah. It's truly. Uh, That's because like Aquafina's apology wasn't really an apology. If you don't say I'm sorry or I apologize, then what is it? You're just, yeah. you're just hearing yourself talk. That's a TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I'm also interested in following up on this story in a few months. Um, it seems like the beginning of a personal interior, uh, internal transformation, but, um, yeah, definitely um, worth covering because of how many memes and how often yeah, Ollie London. Yeah, I think we have an Ollie London meme. Yeah, we have an Ollie London. That's <laughs> that's how much this this one person has like permeated Asian American discourse. <sighs> uh, yeah. Okay. <sighs> All right. Well, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, again, you can follow the podcast at Politically Asian Podcast on Instagram, at Politic Asian Pod on Twitter, or email us at politicallyasianpodcast at gmail.com. If you really want to help us out, please leave an Apple or Spotify five-star review. Uh, Cool. Thanks for listening, and bye. bye!